Welcome to A Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Martin, a licensed therapist here with pep talks and life hacks to help you embrace the mess. Please keep in mind that where I am a therapist, I am not your therapist, so make sure you are doing the work with somebody that knows your story more. Let's start the show. Holiday week energy, y'all. I am recording from, it's it's gorgeous. Like I'm looking around in my view is gorgeous. And I really needed this time just in a different setting. Um, It's sunset. I'm just really, (laughs) if you can't tell, I'm kind of excited and overwhelmed that I'm not recording this in the depths of darkness in my recording dungeon. Um, Hope y'all are doing well. As if you can't tell by now, we are looking at Thanksgiving week. It is a holiday week. Everybody's probably in their feels for so many different ways. Um, Just getting down here was a myriad of adventure and feels and memories and regrets and tiredness and all of that. But I've made it here. I've been able to have some time on the beach in full jeans and jacket, but it's still a very cool experience and getting to spend time with family. And I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and I hope that whatever holiday your yours is going to look like, if you even celebrate Thanksgiving or not, I kind of want to call it gratitude day. I kind of want to take the Thanksgiving verbiage out and just call it gratitude day, especially the more that I learn about what Thanksgiving really is and the truth behind it and the, the ew of it all. I think I'm just going to call it gratitude day or yeah, gratitude day. So however you're spending your gratitude day this week, just, I hope you have the holiday you're going to have. Um, it was super interesting. So as we're driving in on Monday night, um, where we're staying is on a key. Um, so like around in Florida, we're staying on these like little mini islands that are connected to other parts of Florida. And as I was driving in, I did the last leg of the trip and I did not think about this, but there was a bridge that I had to go over. And if you've gone to Florida at all, there are certain times where you have to go over these really long or at least it feels long, these long bridges. <laughs> and it, this bridge in particular went really high and all you see is water next to you. And at least in my situation, I always feel like when I'm on a bridge, I'm going to die. So it's super uncomfortable. Was not even thinking about this as we were approaching and there was nowhere to go. And my heart was coming up in my chest. And all I wanted to do was to not be driving in that moment. And it dawned on me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I am in a real life exposure right now. And this really sucks. And when I say it's a real life exposure, I have an immense fear of death. I don't mind talking about death. I don't mind talking about grief. However, I don't want to experience it. And I get these random intrusive thoughts, especially while on bridges of the car crashing off and what I'd have to do. And I just go full on like dateline, like this is what's happening. Like it, it just gets really bad. So as I'm approaching this bridge and I'm like, oh crap, I'm about to have an exposure moment. I'm about to not feel quite comfy. 
as I was going over the bridge, it, it's like my anxiety peaked when the bridge peaked. And then when I went over, I was super proud of myself and I, I slightly panicked and I made it. But what's funny is that it didn't even cross my mind later on that night when I had to drive to the store that I was going to have to go over this key again or over this bridge again. And now I'm approaching it at night and I'm having the same sort of sensations. Hold on one second. And so as I'm having that sort of peak of everything, I, I realize, okay, I'm experiencing this again. It's not as bad. I have more understanding for how this is going to go. And, and I made it. And all of this to say, forgive Gator barking in the background. I don't want to uh, have a good flow going on right now. As this is why exposure therapy has its place. Because the more that we become attuned to things that make us uncomfortable and the less that we avoid, the more we're able to gain a sense of context and understanding for it. But also we get to learn how to have that distress peak and valley without engaging either in our compulsions or in our things that we do to avoid. And where this one was a really quick hit, it was super uncomfortable and it remained uncomfortable but my ability to manage it improved. Um, so that's, you know, a very short little blurb about the beauty of exposure and why avoiding avoiding is so good for us just as anxious human beings. We have a great show. We're going to get down and dirty about people pleasing and the truths behind it. I'm also going to give you a few tips of how just to manage your nervous system during the holidays. So stay tuned. Want to support a novel life? Here are a few ways that you can rate, review, subscribe, log on to laurenruthmartin.com slash social. I have some amazing partnerships where you get some cool discount codes, including new Harbinger books and surely non-alcoholic wines. You can also access my e-courses and sign up for the newsletter, laurenruthmartin.com slash social. All right, y'all, skills breakdown this week is all about activating social safety because our nervous systems are probably all over the place right now. And it would help to get a little refresher on how to reset ourselves to be able to engage or at least to be able to make it through the present moment. Now, quick reminder, if you want more in your pocket skills help, you can download the Grow RO app that is in the iTunes app store. It's very cool. It's like having the skills book in your pocket. Huge fan of it. And I also know the people that created the app and they're pretty awesome humans too. So make sure um, you download that if you're interested. All right. So activating social safety, what this looks like the whole point of acting social or activating social safety is not to feel calm. It can trigger our calm response system. We would like to be calm, much like mindfulness. If being calm is a byproduct product of it, amazing. If it's our only goal that we have in mind, we might end up overcorrecting or doing a little too much when it comes to being engaged in our social safety system. So what this looks like is if we're in our, if we're feeling tension in our bodies, if we're feeling an urge to overcorrect or overdo or to, you know, either to approach or to avoid, 
what that can do is it can impact our communication. It can impact how we're holding our bodies. It can impact even our ability to think and to have resources in order to get through the present moment. And so a word I like to teach my clients and just people in general, when it comes to social safety activation, um, I've heard this term used in other models of therapy called resourcing, but what you're trying to do by getting your parasympathetic nervous system, fancy word right there, activated and engaged either by deep exhales, by progressive like tensing and relaxing your muscles, um, using big gestures as you talk, you're trying to get movement in your body so that your body signals to your brain that, hey, it's okay to release a little bit. It's okay to free up some space in your mind from either defending yourself however you do or being shut down by re-engaging and helping you take in more energy um, in order to work through the moment instead of avoiding it by shutting down, overdoing, all of those sorts of things. So a few skills that you can do to activate social safety. One is deep exhales. So breathing out more than you're breathing in, that's helpful because if we focus on breathing in, we tend to pocket air and continue to hold tension in our chest. Another thing is to use bigger gestures while we're talking, but fluid movement-based gestures. This is helpful because if we get tense, we tend to, you know, close ourselves in or we get very jolty with our, um, with our gestures. There's no fluid movement that's showing a sense of ease, a sense, a desire to connect that sort of thing. So big gestures, deep exhales, eyebrow wax. Now what this looks like is more like an eyebrow shrug. Um, but what it does, it releases certain uh, muscles around your eye. The word is too big for me to even get into. And what that does is that it helps you start talking with your eyes more, shows more engagement and shows the sense of ease rather than being a deer in headlights or squinting. It releases tension around there and the muscles around your eye also signal to your brain like, hey, we're safe. This person we're engaging in, they are okay. They're not a big dinosaur. Same thing with using, um, you know, big facial muscles. If we do progressive muscle relaxation, my favorite is to pull, I'm doing it right now, pulling my ears to my shoulders and then releasing because I tend to be a, a shoulder creeper. Um, and then another one is, you know, uh, tensing and releasing your fists. You can give yourself a hug, hugging others. Same thing with chewing and eating. Chewing and eating activates our social safety system also because it's releasing tension from our jaw. So all of these skills, they're physiological. So they're through our body by nature, because if you're an overthinker, if you err on the more over-controlled side, if you tend to be someone that goes upstairs, we try to intervene too much by changing our thoughts or changing our perceptions. When really what we need to do is get activated through our body and have our body start talking to our brain to tell us that we're safe. So when in doubt, if you're in your head, go to your body, intervene there, activate safety that way, and then take your next best step towards your values. All right, y'all, let's take one more break. And when we get back, we'll talk about people pleasing. 
Y'all, this was a tight race. I had y'all choose on Instagram um, if you wanted me to talk about people-pleasing or learning how to accept help. And it was such a tight race, but people-pleasing went out. So this is what we have today. I am going to incorporate a little bit about how to accept help, but I'll for sure make that a full-blown episode sometime this month. Um well, not in this month because it's going to be December, but sometime before the end of the year. So what we're doing today, we are going to talk about three truths related to people pleasing and what you can do about it. Because we got to have a little honest chitty chat about people pleasing, how it's truly impacting us, how it's impacting our relationships before we go into changing. Remember, it's all about awareness and openness to this feedback that might be calling us out with the most loving intentions, all in the air of becoming more mindful why we do what we do and finding better ways to go about it, better ways to go about relationships, better ways to have our needs met, better ways to work through discomfort as opposed to overdoing all the things all the time, trying to make everybody but ourselves happy. Now that was a lot of info in like a minute and a half. So let's just all take a collective deep breath. All right. And if you've been listening to my past podcast, now, you know, one thing that us people pleasers really struggle with is knowing our needs in the moment. And that's just, oh my gosh, that could be a whole episode in itself of identifying what we need, what we want, what makes sense in the moment. Um, that's something I encourage all of y'all to do as we're talking about this is the idea of becoming more comfortable with having needs, with having wants, with having desires and, you know, just how to just to be a human as opposed to this robot. So let's get into the three truths about people pleasing. Truth number one, it is about control. Now I want y'all, <laughs> I'm going to repeat that. Truth number one, people pleasing is about control. It just is. And I hate to break it to you, but it's about control. People pleasing. I was going to originally say truth number one, people pleasing is manipulative, but I know that that word gets a bad rep right now. In this moment, I'm trying to manipulate y'all in order to, I'm trying to manipulate y'all to stop people pleasing as much manipulation isn't a bad thing. We have to be mindful of our connotations or our messages or our bias towards certain words. So that's why I didn't say that it's manipulative, but it is about control. And a lot of times when we think about people pleasing, it's hard for us. And, and RODBT talks about it a lot around this concept around secret pride or being able to do more than your, you know, than your average bear. And that is true. You're able to do more and where people pleasing can feel very powerless. There's actually more power than you in your hands than you think than you're comfortable with. And, or the, you're aware of the power and you know, the way to get things done. So here's the thing. When we're engaging in people pleasing, we're making an active effort to determine how people react to us. If we go to this concept of clarifying goals and or yeah, clarifying goals in relationships or in interpersonal interactions, which is another standard DBT and RO skill, 
when you're putting the relationship up the top. So putting your objective, your self-respect, self-inquiry aside, you are making an effort, an active effort to determine how people react to you. So that intention may have this desire to help others in mind. You know, there may be very good intentions behind this. Like I am not calling y'all a crappy person because you want to help others or you want, you like being in the helping role. You're more comfortable being in the helping role. What's helpful to acknowledge though, is that when we're trying to show people and trying to get people to think a certain way about us, that is us trying to control the narrative. So even if it's really polite manipulation, even it is if it is very selfless manipulation, what we're trying to do is to control the narrative. Now, let's not take this to the extreme. I want you all to hear me out when I talk about these concepts around people pleasing. We want to keep in mind that we want to approach this from a flexible middle ground sort of approach, as opposed to, I need to stop people pleasing. I am a selfish person. I am a control fleek, blah, blah, blah. There's no point of you beating yourself up over this. What does help though, is actually acknowledging that control plays a part and why we keep people pleasing. If people pleasing sucked as much as we think it does, or as much as we feel like it does, then we wouldn't do it. So control is one of those payoffs, one of those benefits of people pleasing. So then let's talk about truth number two, the benefits are short lived. So that benefit like control, that benefit of having people think highly of you, that benefit of being able to do things your way, that feels so good in the moment. It feels, again, when you have that sense of control, when you're able to kind of skirt negative feedback or have people think well about you, it feels really good. Those benefits though, come at the cost of your mental health, of your energy, and it creates resentment and bitterness. Resentment and bitterness are most, most likely going to be the results of overextending. Bitterness, resentment, envy, especially when our work or our people pleasing isn't being fully recognized, we're going to feel some type of way about it. We're going to feel slighted. We're going to feel like we are so self-sacrificing because the thing is you are like, you probably are self-sacrificing. I'm not knocking and I'm not questioning whether what you're doing is actually happening. What we have to be mindful of though, is like, what benefits are we seeking? And if we're really gaining reciprocity in our relationship by being in that people pleasing role. Do you feel called out yet? (laughs) I already feel called out. I'm calling myself out through all of this. And then truth number three, relationships will suffer. If you are suffering, chances are that the relationship is suffering too. So even if you're the one that's the scapegoat that takes the brunt of things, that is very much of service to others, that's not sustainable. And ultimately you will suffer and the relationships that you're really people pleasing hardcore on are going to suffer too. Also, what can happen is that we don't teach other people how to relate to us. So we consistently feel unfulfilled. We consistently feel like um, our needs aren't being met. There's that needs thing again. Also, we aren't, we're not teaching the other person how to also fend for themselves. You know, if I'm constantly cleaning around the house to be a people pleaser, my kid's never going to know how to pick up after himself. And that's what leads 
to relationship suffering is if we're constantly doing the work for two, we get burned out, we feel in control, but it's not sustainable. And at the end of the day, everything will crash and burn. And that sounds very dramatic. And maybe that's because you haven't fully endured the brunt of people pleasing going wrong or burnout from people pleasing. And if so good on you, you're doing such a good job at people pleasing that it's not negatively impacting your life. And I will, this is not the cynic in me. This is the clinical like licensed therapist that sees it. If you're not burned out now, you will be burned out later as a recovering people pleaser as a therapist that works with people pleasers, as someone that's continuously working on my people pleasing, burnout and resentment will eventually happen. That control that is so addictive and feels so good, it has a dark side. And the dark side for that is loneliness. It is tearing friendships apart, tearing relationships apart. It's a lack of agency. We, we lose self-trust. We lose the ability to identify our needs. We lose our ability to identify and make decisions that actually work for us and possibly other people too. When we are constantly being guided by what could possibly make others happy or satisfied, we don't tune into ourselves. And so we lose a connection with ourselves. And when we're constantly relying on other outside factors to have our decision-making, that's fleeting. So again, all of that is unsustainable. And I hope you hear me when I say that I'm coming from a place of love, that the sustainability of people pleasing, it's not, you know, it is the, it is the plastic bag of the ecosystem of our emotions. And I don't know if that makes sense, but if you think about it, like plastic bags aren't really sustainable. They're in fact awful. Um, Even though we use them, we continue to use them. We continue to need them because we don't have options. So what I want you to think or what I want you to realize is that if you're a people pleaser, you have options. So instead of just taking the plastic bag, you can ask for paper. You can have your reusable bags. I mean, I'm taking this metaphor too far. Forgive me. All right. Let me take a another deep exhale. So let's talk about what to do about it. We've already been kind of doing one of them. So the first thing that we do is that we admit it and label the function everybody's people pleasing has a different function. Um, There will be tons of similarities, but really only you can identify what behaviors are people pleasing to you and it's function in your life. Even if that is a trauma response by us labeling it, we're not degrading it. We're just acknowledging what it does there. If we're doing it to keep the peace, if we're doing it to avoid conflict because we don't know how to do conflict, if we're doing it to feel a sense of control because we didn't have control in our previous relationships or we didn't feel like we did, you know, or if we were ever punished, if we made our own decisions, like there, there are these things, you know, there are these messages and narratives and reasons why we do what we do. So when we label the function We just actually, we just put it out there and we do it with compassion. Y'all can like, if we're going to work on people pleasing, it's not going to be helpful to be rude to yourself about this because like people pleasing, it serves us. Like I said, that those short-term benefits like are really, really good. And people rely on us and people like us. 
but we have to admit that our people pleasing is something we do. We do a lot and it serves us because if it didn't serve us, then we wouldn't do it. And when we label it and call it a call a spade a spade, we actually begin taking the power away and we begin putting power back into our agency, our autonomy, our, like just our general self-trust. So when we admit our people pleasing and label the function, that's, that's what it looks like. Um, a quick little formula for that. You, um, behaviorally define what it is. So when I defer meal choices, like I, I eat wherever, even though I want something, when I, when I turn the tables, when I put the decision-making to other people, that is my people pleasing. And that prevents me from X, Y, Z. So that prevents me from making a mistake. So the formula is I insert behavior here and that prevents the catastrophe, whatever the catastrophe is, or it serves me by dot, dot, dot. So that's how you label it and you label the function. Another thing you can do is urge, serve your urges for people pleasing. This is going to take those skills that we learned in the top of the show, those social safety activation, and very similar to, oh my gosh, I totally bridged everything together. Didn't even realize it. So if, if you're listening at the beginning of the show and I talked about riding that big, scary bridge up and over when we urge surf. So we use that one mindfully skill along with the observe openly skill and we experience the physical discomforts and the physical urges along with our thoughts racing. When we watch them peak, we don't give in at that point. So we allow ourselves to experience that discomfort at such a high level so that it can naturally rise and fall. And so what that looks like, it's a visual exercise of you imagining, you know, being on a surfboard and riding with the waves instead of fighting them. This is something like if you want to make it like a color and if it's in your chest, you imagine it getting brighter than darker, or if it's in your stomach, we're sort of radiating that way. We surf those urges because we want to label the urges and realize that we don't have to give in even when they're high. That's super important because again, we're trying to work with our urges. We're not trying to always prevent them because we can't, but we are trying to work through them, especially in our bodies because we got to reconnect that brain and body connection. What else you can do is that you can begin practicing small disclosure. And this is also small exposures. Um, so write yourself in therapy. We call this a SUD scale. It's like subject units of distress scale. I think if you're an ERP therapist, do not quote me on that, but you write a scale from zero to a hundred and you think about like, what is, what are my top people pleasing situations? So if they're at a hundred, like those are the ones that are really, really hard to, to like disengage in. And then you go all the way down to 10. So like, what are your zero to 10, uh, sort of, you know, disclosures. This is where getting used to asking for help can be part of this exposure exercise. So what may be like a 10 or a 20, it could be asking somebody at Kroger to like actually pull something down off of the top shelf instead of you climbing by yourself to do it. That's an example of going against a people pleasing or a not accepting help sort of urge the, the, I, I do what I want, or I do, I, I don't need no man sort of type of thinking. Um, when we practice small disclosures, 
we tell people, Hey, you know what? I am totally aware of the urge of, um, like, I don't want to make a decision right now. And I, I just want you to know, this is what I'm thinking. Um, we don't have to go straight from people pleasing to then picking fights and, and putting our opinions out there everywhere. We can start small. And we can start with relationships that we feel more comfortable with. You know, we have a right as to how we go about this. You know, it may be telling our partner, no, I don't want pizza tonight. I want a hamburger. That might be at a hundred for you. And that's okay. You know, this idea of letting people know that this is what we're working on. This is how it looks. And this is how we're going to challenge it. Then it gives you one accountability, which might actually be putting your people pleasing into something more productive. Um, and then two, it, it helps you connect with others because now they can help you with something. So see how that accepting help and people pleasing, they kind of go hand in hand. You also need to make a list though, of what you're willing to try in regards to your people pleasing as a way to better establish an understanding as to like what you're doing to help you be more intentional about it rather than just having all this open awareness of where all of your people pleasing is as somebody that tends to being mindful and being intentional is something that I'm working on. Um, I tend again, adult ADHD problems. I tend to be very much like going after shiny objects. Um, I can really engage when it involves other people, but when it comes to my own stuff, it's harder for me to be mindful and intentional. The more that we slow down, the more that we make space between our urges. So there's that urge surfing thing and what we do, people pleasing, arguing, whatever that looks like. The more space that we put between that and the more accountability that we have and the small shifts that we make, we have a commitment. And if we think about people pleasing and commitments, we make a lot of commitments to others. This is something that you're having to commit to yourself and really change because you are, unfortunately, you were so capable of continuing to tolerate the mess that comes from people pleasing that for you to make this change. I, I will be honest with you. It's not easy. I don't see it being easy. Maybe for y'all, it's so liberating that it becomes easy because you feel free of being able to have more decisions made on your terms. Um, even though people pleasing is on your terms, more a range of decision-making. Um, so to go back to that overcorrecting thing, you know, as we admit it, as we ride these urges as we practice small disclosure, as we continue to give ourselves exposure to not people pleasing, we have to remember our why. We have to remember, you know, our intentions of shifting this. We also have to look at being preventative. This is something that is best done a lot more in advance than when we're at our brink. And you may not have that choice right now while you're trying to shift this people pleasing thing. It's going to be an identity shift. And there's a lot that's rooted in that. So when you go back to admitting it and labeling function, you got to see where your identity rides in that too. Because people pleasing is more than just a behavior. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It's a way of being known. And for you to reshift how you're going to have to be known, your friends, your family, your community deserve to know that too, because they're going to need some time to adjust. So keep persisting, keep practicing, keep challenging that urge to stay in that box. And I, I just can't wait to hear 
the freedom, especially around this time of year, that challenging people pleasing will do for you. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe the podcast. It helps get the word out and sharing is caring. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Lauren Ruth Martin. There's also a link, laurenruthmartin.com slash social. Tons of great freebies, some discount codes. Those are ways that you can support the show and it's greatly appreciated. I'm so thankful for y'all. I hope that you have the week you're going to have and I'll see you next week.